Please remain standing in honor of God's word. This morning we'll look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. We're really only going to look at two words, our Father, but we'll read 7 through 13 so you have a little context. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some manuscripts add, for thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider the Lord's prayer, I think of what Luke tells us introducing that prayer, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and then he gave them what we know today is the Lord's prayer. This morning, I want to ask that you will teach us to pray as well. Even though we pray, we know that we can grow in prayer. So I ask that you will teach us to pray, help us to grow in prayer. And we do so now through your Spirit, who will give us understanding. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If I was to put together a top uh, 10 list of truths that have transformed my Christian life, I would include after the gospel, the sovereignty of God. There is nothing more comforting than the fact that God is sovereign over everything that takes place, and he is working out all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So along with Jonathan Edwards, I love to ascribe sovereignty to God. In addition to that, another truth I would add is that everything is to be done for God's glory. Our unofficial church verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God. And I remember learning that everything God does, he does for his glory. And everything that we do, we also are to do for his glory. And then I would also add the truth that living for God's glory and my joy are not opposed to each other. I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder, well, am I going to glorify God today with my life, or am I going to pursue my joy and what makes me happy today? It was wonderful to find out that those truths actually are one truth in Jesus Christ. By living for God's glory, we are actually living for our own joy. And I think that's what we find in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. forever. Love the congregation participation. (laughs) Now, in addition to those, and of course I have others, but I would also include my understanding that God is my Father. Now, that one might surprise you a little because knowing God is our Father seems to be so basic to Christianity, but I really do see it as a profound doctrine, especially when it relates to prayer. 
Now, Father's Good, Father's Day, rather, is a good day to mention that uh, children are a blessing in many ways. And one of the ways in which I have found children to be a blessing is that they help me to understand my relationship to my Father in heaven. I remember John Piper saying on one occasion something like this, Father, I am coming before you with this need. And I am coming to you as your son. If one of my children were to come to me and say, Dad, I am struggling with this situation and I need your help. If one of my kids came to me like that, they would have my full attention and I would do whatever I could to help them. And I never forgot that. And every once in a while, I I repeat those words and I just remind myself I am coming to my Heavenly Father like his child with this need or concern or wisdom, whatever it may be. And that really has been very helpful in my Christian life. Martin Luther said on one occasion that if he could just understand the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, he said he would never be the same again. I agree and would simply add, if we could just understand the first two words to the Lord's Prayer, we would never pray the same way again. Now, this morning, my objective is to help you pray. And if you're taking notes, I have three points to remind you about the God to whom you are praying. Number one, you're praying to a personal, intimate father. You're praying to a personal, intimate father. Number two, You're praying to an omnipresent, involved Father. You're praying to an omnipresent, involved Father. And number three, you're praying to a caring, loving Father. You're praying to a caring, loving Father. So number one, you're praying to a personal, intimate Father. Now, because most of us, if not all of us, have been addressing God as our Father since we were little kids, I think we can fail to see just how radical this is. So what I'd like to do is give you a little context from redemptive history so that you can see where this entered in and just how significant this change is. The German theologian Joachim Jeremias, a New Testament scholar, did a study in which he searched through the Old Testament writings and the existent rabbinic writings from all ancient Jewish sources... And he could not find a single example ever of a Jewish writer or author addressing God directly in prayer as Father until the 10th century A.D. He found examples of God being referred to as the Father, but the word Father was never used in a direct form of personal address. Eremias also examined the prayers of Jesus, and there he made an equally fascinating discovery. In every prayer of Jesus recorded in the New Testament, except one, when he was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was quoting for Scripture. In every single occasion, he always addressed God as Father. Now, when Jesus tells us, his disciples, to address God as Father, 
obviously he is implying that we have been adopted into God's family. And what I want you to see is that calling God Father is so radical in redemptive history that some scholars say it demonstrates the difference between the old and the new covenant. If you were to ask, what's better about the new covenant? One of the ways in which it is better is now we have the awesome privilege to address the sovereign creator, almighty God of the universe as Father, Abba, because we have been adopted into his family. And I could be wrong, but I think for the Apostle John, he sees the love of Christ most clearly in the cross, but then right after the cross, he sees God's love for us most clearly in the fact that we have been adopted into God's family. In 1 John 3, 1 and 2, this is what we read. And as I read it, I want you to note John's astonishment. He is just stunned by this truth. He says, see, I like the King James better here, behold, check this out. <laughs> but in the vernacular of the day, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And I love how he has, and so we are. We're not just called the children of God, like it's a title we have. We actually are the children of God because we have literally been adopted into his family. He goes on and he says, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, don't you like that? I like that. You put your faith in Christ. You're a child of God right now at this very moment. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The greatest thing in all the world is to be a Christian. And if you have been adopted into the family of God, you are blessed beyond measure. Now, here's what I want to ask. Do you enjoy this intimate, personal relationship with God because you have been adopted? It's not something that we can just take for granted. It's a right that's given to us. In 1 John 1.12, we read, But to all who did receive him, talking about Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I like somebody put together a little formula, and I, I like this. Receive plus believe equals become. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You put your faith in him, and then you become a child of God. My hope and my prayer is that you enjoy that intimate relationship with God. It'll make all, all the difference in prayer because you're not coming before some kind of distant deity who is a hundred miles or more away. You are coming into the presence of your Father. And perhaps on some occasion you want to say, Father, I'm coming to you as a child. I need your help. Will you help me? And when you can approach God like that, that will make a difference in how you pray. So to help you grow in prayer, number one, realize that you're praying to a personal, intimate father. Number two, 
realize you're praying to an omnipresent, involved Father. Now, perhaps this is a good place to interject that while your Heavenly Father is perfect, we fathers are on earth are just a tiny bit less than, than perfect. <laughs> we might be pretty close, uh, but we are, we are not perfect. In all seriousness, I know some of you have had wonderful fathers, and I know some of you would say, not so much. But regardless, we must allow God's word to tell us and show us what our heavenly father is like. One pastor made what I thought was a a simple but helpful observation about the fatherhood of God and and how we fathers on earth can learn from his, his example. He was talking about the baptism of Jesus, which was a significant event in his life. And he made these three observations He said, first of all, his father was present, and he made his presence known. So that's that's pretty simple. His father was there. He he showed up. Sometimes around this church we say, just show up. People say, someone is struggling. They're going through a difficult time. What can I do? And we say, just just show up. The father was there at the baptism of, of his son. This is what we read in Matthew 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So his father was there on this special occasion. Now, here's something we have to add. We have to be realistic. Um, Not only is our Heavenly Father perfect and we're not perfect, um, our Heavenly Father is omnipresent, and we fathers cannot be omnipresent. Uh, sometimes because of work, we're not able to be at some kind of activity or event for one of our children as much as we would like to be there. And some fathers have to travel because of work, or other fathers are in the military, and sometimes they're away for for extended time away from their family. So let's apply a little realism here to dads. Um, but at the same time, if at all possible, dads want to be involved in lives of their children. It may seem very simple, but the father was there on this occasion to the son, and he made his, his presence known. And then the second observation was he expressed love. That's pretty simple. He verbalized, this is my beloved son. Or we would simply say, son, daughter, I love you. He expressed that. I've I've heard people say, even in this church, that they would love to hear just one time from their dad. I love you. That that is so simple. And I'm I'm thankful this has been a good change. I I know previous generations had a hard time expressing this for, for whatever reason, but we can learn from our Father in heaven. He shows up on this event. This is my son whom I love. Our kids need to know we love them because they hear it. And then number three, the father affirmed him. He said to the son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Again, if we can just put this in our language, son, I am so proud of you. 
And the more specific we can be, the better, you know. Son, I see you're really working hard at school. Daughter, I see you're really helping your, your mom out when she's going through a difficult time. Whatever it, it may be, words, words of affirmation can go a long ways. Again, it's simple, and our Heavenly Father is, is affirming His Son, and He's do it, doing it for all, for all to know. So it can be simple, but it can, it can help. Now, regardless of whether or not your dad was good at any of these, Here's what I want to encourage you with. Psalm 68.5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. God is a father to the fatherless. Maybe you don't know who your father was. Maybe, maybe he was gone. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe, maybe worse than that, maybe he was abusive. I don't know. Regardless, even if he had a great dad, God is a father to the fatherless, and because of that, he can make up for whatever is lacking in your life because of your earthly father. That's the promise. He not only is your father, but he will father you as you go to him with the help that you need. Now, here's what I'd like you to notice about the surrounding context of the Lord's Prayer. I think this is interesting. Uh, Matthew 6, 2 and 4. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, for they think they will be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in 16 and 18, we have the same thing said about fasting. Don't fast before others. Fast before your Father. And your Father who sees will reward you. And the idea here is that whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you are doing, your Father sees. He's omnipresent and He sees and that should motivate you. God is watching you everywhere you go. You're wonderful, loving, fearful Heavenly Father. I, I love the story about when Lou Little was football coach at uh, Georgetown University. He had a, a player on his team that was just an average player. Um, didn't get in the game that often, but he was really fond of this student. And, and he especially liked the way that this, that this student, this guy on his team, would walk arm in arm with his father on the campus. Uh, one day, shortly before a, a big day, or excuse me, a big game with Fordham, the boy's mother called with the news that his, die, his dad had died of a heart attack that morning. The student went home with a heavy heart, but was back three days later. Coach, he pleaded, will you put me in the game against Fordham? I think that's what my dad would have liked most. After a moment's hesitation, Coach Little said, okay, but only for a play or two. Well, true to his word, he put the boy in, 
but he never took him out of the game. For 60 action-packed minutes, that inspired young man ran and blocked like an All-American. After the game, the coach praised him. Son, you never played like that before. What got into you? He answered, remember how my father and I used to go arm in arm? Well, he was totally blind. And today was the first day he was able to watch me play. When he realized my father is able to watch me, that made all the difference in the world. And if you've been here for a while, you know we talk about living Coram Dale before the presence or the face of God. And if we could go through our day with an understanding that God is omnipresent, he is here, and, and not just here, but he's involved in our lives. He sees what I'm doing. He will reward me. He will answer my prayers. When I help somebody and nobody else sees, and sometimes we should want to do that and not want anybody to know, nobody. Sometimes it should just be, Lord, this is just between you and I. I'm doing this out of my my love for you. And when we had that understanding of who God is, why would we not want to come before him in, in prayer and, and bring all our requests before him? And the great thing about having an omnipresent father is that you can pray continually because no matter where you are, he hears your, your prayers and he will answer as he sees fit. So to grow in prayer, number one, realize you're praying to an intimate personal father. You're praying to an omnipresent, involved father. Number three, you're praying to a caring, loving father. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties, concerns, worries, doubts, desires, fears, whatever, Cast them all on him. And why should you do that? For the simple reason that he cares for you. And I believe it's, it's that care that Jesus is trying to communicate in the, in the second half of Matthew 6.25. Notice what Jesus says, Matthew 6.25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anybody need to hear that? <laughs> Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they are. Isn't that great? I love what John Stott says. He says, Some may know that I happen myself to have been since boyhood an enthusiastic bird watcher. I know, of course, that bird watching is regarded by some as a rather eccentric pastime, but I claim biblical warrant for the activity. Consider the fowls of the air, said Jesus, according to the King James Version. And this in basic English could be translated, watch birds. Indeed, I am quite serious. For in the Greek verb, in this command, it means fix your eyes on, 
so as to take a good look at. Have you ever done that? I did that this morning almost by accident. I was here this morning and I was out in the foyer and there were two birds flying right, right in front of the windows out there. And I thought, that's pretty cool. And then I noticed a bird out here in our entrance seated on the beam. And I thought, I'd rather him not be there because he makes a mess when people come in. But, but I was looking at the birds and, and thinking, they're awesome creatures. But notice how God takes care of them. And I, I can't read birds like I can read people. But as, as watching these birds this morning, it didn't seem to me that they were too stressed. They didn't, they didn't seem very anxious. Didn't seem like they were struggling with migraines or, or ulcers. In fact, they seem, they seem pretty happy creatures. Maybe it's why they're singing all the time. They're just so happy. And why are they so happy? You know why they're so happy? Because your Heavenly Father takes care of them. So that they have nothing to be anxious about. I love this uh, children's poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But you do have a heavenly father who cares for you just as much as he cares for the birds. And it's the fact that we have a Heavenly Father that takes care of us is what separates us from the rest of mankind. And we really are blessed to be adopted into God's family and to have a Heavenly Father who takes care of us. And I believe Jesus is trying to emphasize that, that contrast as well. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the Gentiles, they rush after those, those things because they don't have a heavenly Father like you, but you have a heavenly Father who knows what you need. And then returning to the introduction of the Lord's Prayer in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Isn't that interesting? They think God's going to hear. They think God's going to answer because of their many words. Maybe if I badger him enough, if I pray long and hard enough, maybe if I pray like that, finally God will give me what I want. And Jesus said, don't, don't pray like that. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father. So your confidence in prayer shouldn't come from the fact that you're praying long and, and hard and bothering God enough. Your confidence that God will give you what you want is because you're, you're, his, you're his son, you're his daughter, and you're, you're coming before your father in heaven, and you're saying, this is what I need, father. And just lay it out. Keep it that simple. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be drawn out. It could be one sentence. Actually, it could be one word. Just tell him what you want, like you would your earthly father. Need help with finances? What do you say to your earthly father? Oh, thou earthly father who has taken care of me. 
Yeah, my kids have never done that. <laughs> you, you need help with your finances? Father, we're, we're struggling with the finances because of such and such. Will you, will you please help us to see the way through? In Jesus' name, amen. Just let them know. Be direct. I really mean that. Sometimes it's hard to be, to be direct. Just be direct, straightforward. Again, like you, like you would an earthly father, and it'll make all the difference in the world. Now, if you're ever wondering about whether or not God cares for you, if looking at the birds doesn't do the trick, try looking at the cross. Try looking at the cross of Christ. Birds are not created in the image of God. You are created in God's image. And Jesus did not come to die on a cross for the birds. Jesus came to die on the cross for you. And he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be adopted into his family, so that you could be given the right to be a child of God and address him as father. Redemption is not for the birds. Redemption is is for you. And if you ever wonder about God's care, concern, just contemplate the cross a little bit and look at what God did to make this adoption possible. Now, here's something else I want to point out that also will help you see the uniqueness and really the privilege that it is to call God Father. Um, I, I believe this is unique to Christianity. There is no other religion that has the privilege of addressing God as Father. There's a story told that on one occasion, a, a Muslim mentioned to a Christian pastor that he would never refer to Allah as Father because Allah is too great. But that's really a categorical mistake. Calling God Father doesn't really directly address his greatness or lack thereof. When we call God Father, what we're addressing is our relationship. With God. So when a Muslim says, I would never refer to my God, Allah, as Father, what he's saying is, because he hasn't provided redemption for me, because he hasn't adopted me into his family, because I don't have that personal, intimate relationship with my God like you Christians have. That's what he's saying. So when we call the sovereign creator of heaven and earth Father, what that is indicating is that we have a personal relationship with him. And I really think other religions on the outside should look at us, and if they were honest, they would be jealous of the relationship that we have. They would be envious of the fact that we can just boldly just march right into the throne room of grace and say, Dad, Father, can I have a minute of your attention? And he says, of course, you have my undivided attention. What can I help you with? It's a tremendous privilege that other, other religions don't have. So when it comes to growing in prayer, I think a good place to start is right with the address. Our Father. Remember, Jesus is helping his disciples to grow in prayer. And he says, you want help? Address God as Father. 
And when you have that understanding, I really do think that'll make all the difference in, in the world. I don't, I don't think Martin Luther was exaggerating when he said, if I could just understand the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, I would never be the same again. And I also believe we would never pray the same way again. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've probably addressed you as Father thousands of times. We thank you for that incredible privilege to address you as Father. I pray for all of us that we will see what you are like because of what we find revealed in the pages of Scripture, regardless of what we saw or didn't see from our earthly Father. And I I pray that this truth will be transformational for our Christian lives as well as our, our prayer life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.